Are you ready to hear God's word this morning? Well, it's a privilege for me to get an opportunity to share with you. Um, and, uh, you know, you might have expected a teenager preaching to you this morning on Youth Sunday, but you got me. Um, but, yeah, uh, Vera and I have been uh, leading these guys for a couple of years now. It's really been an awesome privilege. We're learning a lot. Um, about what uh, ministry is. Um, like, I, like I said in that video, I spent mu- much of my uh, life uh, teaching adults, even from when I was a teenager. I actually was uh, um, running a Bible school. So, um, But um, it's really been an awesome privilege, and I uh, really believe that God's going to continue to break down walls and, and, uh, and grow us all. Um, so let's just go before the Lord right now. I've just got a quick word to share with you. Uh, I want to challenge you today um, to go a little deeper. Um, that's why we're here, right? Um, the Bible says that we, um, we come to this place that God has put um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers into the body for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Um, So you might have come in here thinking that I was the minister, um, but the reality is, according to the Word of God, is that you're the minister. And God's going to use me this morning to give you a little more equipment for what you need, because ministry doesn't happen when the lights are on in here. Ministry happens when the doors are locked and the lights are off and you're out there. That's where the ministry is. This, is. this is the place where you come to get equipped to do the work of the ministry. People that stand in the pulpit aren't the ministers. We're the equippers. We're all called to the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? That's probably how you got here. You probably didn't just show up at a church one Sunday morning and say, oh, let's see what goes on in there. Somebody that was called to the ministry of reconciliation told you about Jesus one day, right? Isn't that how you got here? And so that's what we're all called to. So I I pray that God will just use me in in a small way today to sow a seed that will just start something in you that will challenge you to to greater things in your calling in what God has, uh, has, has, has called you and promoted you to be. All right? So let's just go before him right now. Hallelujah. Just lift your just in surrender to him. Father, we just come before you right now in the name of Jesus, thanking you for your Holy Spirit who is the teacher here today. I just step out of the way and allow you to use me to sow your word into every heart that's here. Father, I thank you for your equipment for the work of this ministry. And I thank you, Lord, that we don't put our confidence in anything that we have, but our confidence and trust is in you. We listen for your voice this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. No, no, don't clap. It's not over. Amen. Um, I want to challenge you with a couple questions today. But before I do that, the beautiful hospitality team is equipped with Bibles. So come on up. If everybody, anyone needs a Bible, please raise your hand. It's always a good idea. We, te- we teach the, uh, the, the kids this in um, youth group because, of course, everyone's uh, into turning in their Bible on their phone or on their iPad or whatever. Um, but it's always good to be equipped with an actual physical Bible um, because this is sometimes all you're going to have. 
You're not going to have reception one day. You're not going to have Wi-Fi or whatever. And it's important for you to have God's Word so that you know where it is in God's Word, how to get to it. Amen. So I want to challenge you today about what's important. I want you to ask yourself, what's important to me when it comes to your life as a believer? What's important to you as a Christian? And for the most part, what I've noticed in my many, many years of being a believer, um, that most Christians are focused so much on being obedient to God. How many of you feel like you spend a lot of your time in your Christianity trying to be obedient to God's Word? All right? And we just focus on, like, trying to do the right thing. Right? Remember those bracelets, what would Jesus do, and this T-shirt and the hat and all that other stuff, right? What would Jesus do? And, and, and you know what? I could have wrote that book in one page. Uh, the, the answer to that question is the, the complete opposite of what I want to do. All right? That's, that's, that's really the answer to that question. What would Jesus do? The real question is not what would Jesus do, but how did Jesus do what he did? That's really the question. Because we know what Jesus would do. But how did he do that? Was he just a really nice guy? Because a lot of Christians, that's what they're satisfied with. Just being nice. Being the guy that doesn't do the, the bad thing. Being the nicest neighbor. Being the nicest co-worker. You know, sometimes we get satisfied with those things. And that's all we're seeking. All we're seeking is the do's and don'ts of Christianity. All we're seeking is to, to be okay with God. But my Bible talks about having a relationship with God. Right? And relationship goes a lot deeper than do's and don'ts. Relationship goes into an understanding of the heart of someone. If I don't know God, then I really can't be obedient to what he's calling me to. Are you hearing me? If I don't have a relationship with him, then my obedience is going to only be limited to how good I could follow the rules. And if I think I'm actually following the rules, right? Didn't Jesus blow that out of the water? When he said, oh, you have heard, you shall not commit adultery? Well, I'll tell you this, if you look upon a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery. So Jesus blew it out of the water, the whole do's and don'ts thing. You have heard you shall not commit murder. Well, I'll tell you right now, if you hate your brother, you're guilty before the court. So following the rule book, or thinking that you're following the rule book, <laughs> did you hear what I said? Thinking that you're following the rule book isn't good enough. Paul says the letter will kill you, but the Spirit gives life. It's all about relationship. It's all about knowing the heart of your Father. I, I hear a lot of Christians in my life, I hear a lot of Christians talk about um, the will of God in a kind of an abstract way. Well, if it's God's will. How many of you talk like that? <laughs> a lot of times we talk like that. Well, I know God can do it. Most of us here don't doubt the ability of God, right? How many of you know God can do anything? 
Right? Most of us, we're all in on God can do it. God is able to do it. But oftentimes, that same sentence ends with, but I'm not sure if he's willing to do it. Right? Am I right? Okay. And so, I want to challenge that a little bit today because when you're in relationship with someone, you should probably know about what they want to do, what they're willing to do, what they're willing for you to do. Husbands, did you ever come home on that new motorcycle and surprise your wife? Or, or you, know, we, you know, sometimes we, we, you know, we're like, well, you know, I'm just going to go out and buy this. I'm not sure what my wife really wants me to do. No, you better find out first. See, a real relationship is communication. A real relationship is finding out. Or a real relationship is just knowing. Right? And so I would actually respect more hearing a Christian say, well, I know God can do this. I know he's able to do this. But when I prayed, I heard him say no. He's not willing. Then I would be like, oh, okay, now you have a relationship with God. Now you're hearing his voice. You're not just going at it going, who knows what God, whatever he wants to do. Well, that's not a relationship. That's not a relationship. That's not hearing the voice of God. In Matthew chapter 8, would you turn there, please? A lot of times we're not sure about the willingness of God. Well, let me ask you a question. When you're not sure about the willingness of God, is that more to do with you or him? When you're not sure about the willingness of God, it's more to do with you. You're not sure if you're worthy. You know he can do it because he did it for so-and-so, but I don't know if for me. Right? Right? Or is it just me? Am I the only one? Heroes, am I the only one like that? Let's look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. It says, When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing... You can make me clean. Wow. Now, lepers in this day were quarantined to a colony. They were separated from regular society. Um, it was highly contagious. They had a very low self-esteem, I guess we would say, in America. <laughs> I know a lot of us have to deal with that. But could you imagine being quarantined to a colony of lepers? What a low self-esteem you might have if you didn't have a nose or didn't have a hand or something was worn off you from this dreadful disease. And so this man didn't think much of himself. And his question to the Lord, he says, Lord, if you are willing. So the doubt that he had with Jesus was not Jesus' ability, just like most of us. We would never doubt that Jesus could do something. He just doubted if Jesus was willing. He says, if you are willing, you can. You're able to make me clean. I know you can do anything. I'm just not sure if you want to do it for me. 
And here's Jesus' answer. And Jesus put out his hand and touched him. That's pretty powerful because most lepers never got touched after they got leprosy. So Jesus put out his hand and showed him love, showed him how valuable he was to Jesus, that Jesus was willing to risk getting leprosy just to show him love. And he said, I am willing to be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I am willing. Everybody say, I am willing. You have to hear the Father say, I am willing. You have to hear the heart of the Father. That's what relationship is all about. You got to challenge yourself that if, is your relationship with God based on who God is or what he can do for you? Have you ever heard Christians say, I'm just glad I don't have to go to hell? Some Christians are just satisfied not going to hell. That's, and that's, and, and trust me, hell's not a good place. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But if that's all I'm satisfied with, if that's all I want, I just don't want to go to hell. If my only thing, my only um, premise for my relationship with God is based on what he can do for me, then I'm really missing out on a true relationship. Relationship speaks of the heart of the individual, not simply the ability. You all know the story of the prodigal son, right? Anyone here ever experienced the prodigal son lifestyle? Anyone here ever run from God? Just three of us. All right, four. All right. All right, maybe you won't get this story then. Um, but, but the prodigal son, um, he took his inheritance early, went off, and blew it. Spent it on wild living. But there's a second son in that story that I want to challenge you with that is just as prodigal, just as living on his own. And that's the son that stayed home and did everything that his father wanted him to do from sunup till sundown. He was a hardworking guy, lived in the house. Now, you know the story, right? When the prodigal son showed up, the father sees him from afar off, the Bible says, and he took off running to him to greet him. And when he got to him, he hugged him, he kissed him. He actually, in the middle of his son's repentance, the father just interrupted him because all he wanted to do was come back and be a servant. And he said, my son has come home. Kill the fatted calf, bring me a ring for his finger, put a robe on his back, restore everything to him. Now you would think his brother would be excited to hear that his little brother was back and that his life is getting back in order. If we turn to Luke chapter 15, we see a little different story, a little different reaction. And do you know why I know it's important that this other brother is mentioned in this story? Because he doesn't really have to be. How many of you know he doesn't really have to be? If, if the story was only about the prodigal son, then it, it would have just ended right there. The father threw this big party, my son's home, and everything's good. The fact that Jesus included this other guy that really seems to have nothing to do with the story tells me how important it is. 
Because it's easy to identify the prodigal son that's out getting drunk and sleeping with harlots. It's easy to see that guy. That guy's obvious. But the other guy that's in the house, looking the part, doing all the right things, saying all the right things, showing up to church on time, raising his hands when he's supposed to, clapping his hands when he's supposed to, giving to the offering, doing all the right things, and looks on the outside like everything's okay. Let's see his reaction. It says, now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. What was he in the field doing? Working. (laughs) He was working, working, working. Comes home from a hard day's work. There's music and dancing in the house. All right, let's go to the next verse. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He says, I didn't get the memo. I didn't hear about a party today. What's going on? Is this for me? Because I'm such a hard worker? Verse 27. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. This is just my conjecture on that, but guess who was feeding the fatted calf? I bet this guy every morning woke up and went out and fed the the fatted calf. And he just saw this thing getting bigger and thought, man, I can't wait till we, oh man, till we eat this guy. He's going to be good. Maybe make some ribs like you made the other night, right? Smoke up some barbecue cap. If you weren't at the men's meeting at Pastor Joe's, men's meeting, excuse me, the men's barbecue at Pastor Joe's house, if you weren't there on Thursday night, then you are probably wide awake right now. The rest of us are still digesting the meat. All right, um, (laughs) verse 28, he says, but he was angry. And would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Verse 29. So he answered and said to him, to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Wow. Wow. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. That's a good boy, right? How many of you have multiple kids and you got one good one? Just kidding. But that's a good boy, right? Never transgressed his, transgressed his father's commandment at any time? Wow. He says, and yet you never gave me. He's in this relationship with this awesome, amazing man that has this boundless love. And all he's looking for is to get something. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. I never threw a party. After all I did for you? Verse 30. Uh, Next verse. But But as soon as his son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And then the last verse. Look what the father says. He says, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. You see, when you're in relationship with God, you know 
what you can have. When you're truly in relationship with him, you know that you already have everything. See, unfortunately, too many Christians are measuring themselves based on their do's and don'ts, based on what they have, what they don't have, and what somebody else has or doesn't have. And so they measure themselves and they think that that is what determines how good of a Christian they are. This guy said, I did everything for you. I never transgressed your commandment one time and you didn't give me anything. His father says, give you? You had, it's all yours. What do you mean give you? Do you understand? When you get into a works mentality, you will not, you are not in a true relationship with God. Remember the, the ten lepers? Do you remember the ten lepers? The Bible says in verse 13 of, of Luke 11, I think I have that one there, uh, of Luke 17, excuse me, sorry, I messed you up. It says, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they needed something, we wanted mercy. Jesus ministers healing to them, and then a couple verses down, it says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. One of them. One of them wasn't satisfied with just getting healed, which how many of you know if you got healed of leprosy, you'd want to go home and tell everybody? Huh? You'd want to go see your family again. But one of them, even though he wanted to go home and tell somebody, even though he wanted to go back into community, back into relationship with people, one of them said, I got to go, I got to go at least say thank you. I got to go rub shoulders with this guy. I want to know this guy a little bit more. I want to know more about him. But nine of them just went off. They got what they wanted, and they're out of here. And a lot of Christians, like I said, are just happy not having leprosy. Just happy not going to hell. Just happy showing up to the club Sunday morning. Where are you at? Church. But are you desiring relationship? Do you want to go deeper? He wants you deeper. Relationship is not just reading God's word, not just rubbing shoulders with Christians, not just doing all the things that we do, which I love. I love church. I, 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 you know, I, I, love, I love what we do. I absolutely love what we do. But again, we're not here. This, this isn't the... Uh, extent of our relationship with God. This is just a place for us to get equipped and to grow in our walk with the Lord, to get closer to Him. I want to rub shoulders with Jesus. Amen? I want to hear His voice. You can't base your Christianity on what you do. You have to base it on knowing God. In Jeremiah 9, chapter, uh, very, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 23, I'm kind of cheating here. I'm using the, uh, the board. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. I want you to look at each of those things that you can glory in, that people do glory in. You know, we're, we're you know, in America, we're big on 
stuff, whether it is actually having riches, whether it's having great abilities, whether it's having a great education, or all of the above. How many of you got people in your life that have all of the above? No? All right. Sure, you should meet some people. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we glory in those things. We glory in our wealth. What do you do for a living? What do you do? Oh, you're one of those. Wow, you, wow. Where do you live? Oh, in that neighborhood. Oh. We get impressed by people's degree. The school that they went to. Oh, you went to that school? Wow. And so we glory in those things. But watch what, what this is what, this is, this is God's word. He says, this is the Lord's thing. Verse 24. He says, but let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me. How much time do you spend in your Christianity trying to understand and know God better? You have to ask yourself that. I, I don't know the answer to that for you. But how much time are you focusing on getting to know him better rather than being obedient to someone you don't even know. Too often, we just want the rule book. We just want to know what I'm supposed to do. God doesn't want that. He wants you to go beyond that. He wants you to break all the rules. He wants you to walk on water. Can't find that in here. Can't find how to walk on water in here. But he wants you to go beyond your understanding. He wants you to go beyond your comprehension. But you got to take it step by step, right? I shared earlier in, uh, in the first service how Peter took it step by step. The first one, throw the net out. Filled his boat up with fish, right? The second step, go catch a fish. And it's got their tax money in its mouth. The third step, walk on water, right? It's all a process. God wants you to... God wants you to start with go, the first step, and then he'll take you the rest of the way. Amen? But it's all about relationship. It's all about knowing him. It says that I am the Lord exercising love and kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight. How many of you know God doesn't delight in your riches? He delights that you are rich, right? That's what the Bible says. He delights in the wealth of his saints. But he's not going, woohoo, you're rich. How many of you know it doesn't delight in your education? You can care less. You can care less. Unless he told you to go to that school, then good. But he can care less about what you know. How many of you know he can care less about your ability? Now, not that he can care less about your ability, but he, he doesn't want you to take credit for the ability that he gave you. <laughs> Amen? I tell people all the time, if someone handed me a million dollars, the last thing I would do is run around telling everybody I'm a millionaire. The first thing I would do is say, that guy gave me a million dollars. Right? I'd give glory to the person that gave me the million dollars. I wouldn't say, I'm a million, hey, I'm a millionaire now. Treat me like a millionaire. No. I'm going to give 
honor to the person that gave me the million. Too many people with gifts want credit for the gift. Look at the gift I have. Look what I can do. Yeah? Who gave you the gift? Amen? Amen? All right, that's another message. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is kind of scary. Do you want to go? You want to go scary? Let's go scary for a little bit. He says, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. How many of you know we're in the last days? Amen. Who's clapping for the last days? No, I'm just kidding. That's all right. Just knows for sure we're in the last days. All right, verse 2. We're going to fly through this. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Wow. Can you find yourself anywhere in there? Don't tell me. Don't raise your hands. All right? Verse 3. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. Are we seeing this all over the world? But watch this. Traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then verse 5. Suspense. Go ahead. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So all of those traits that we, we just read, he says, you're not even going to be able to see it on the outside. They're going to have all this hidden in their heart, and they're going to come across as being godly. So it's, it's, it'd be nice if it was obvious. It would be nice if we could see it all. But the reality is, you have to read these verses and not look for it in somebody else, but make sure it's not in you. Amen? Too many times we're, we're going, oh, is that guy one of those traitors? Is he haughty? Don't worry about anybody else. Turn the mirror on yourself. This is, the Bible's called the mirror on yourself. Not supposed to be shined on other people. It's supposed to be looking at yourself. And it says, having a form of godliness but denying its power, ask yourself that about yourself. Do I have a form of godliness? Do I have a form of godliness? Do I look good on the outside, but I don't have any power in my life? Do I look okay? Do people think I'm okay? Do I think I'm okay? But there's no power in my life. Paul says, and from such people, turn away. If you don't have power in your life, then you don't have relationship. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to challenge you. Because relationship happens like that with God. It happens like that. As soon as he saw that prodigal son come up over the horizon, he took off running to give him a hug and to welcome him back. Amen? The world will throw a lot of things at you. It will get you in a place where you're trying to do the right thing, but you can't do it in your own power and your own ability. I'm going to close with James chapter 2. Is your working? Is your faith working? Too many believers spend all their time trying to figure out why God does anything for them. I'm telling you why. Because he sees your value. 
Do you understand? If I could challenge you to one thing today, it's to take the words undeserving and unworthy out of your vocabulary. Because what you do when you say that about yourself is you insult the creator of heaven and earth who sent his only begotten son to die for you. You insult God. If he saw you worthy and deserving of what he did, why would you argue with him? Why would you deny that? I'll tell you why. Because the enemy wants you to walk around saying, unworthy, undeserving. I don't know why you did it for me. That's, that's an ineffective way to get people to be jealous of what you have, let me tell you. The world's not going to go, oh, wow, can I come to that church? No, they want to know that there's something different about you. And being worthy and being deserving isn't about pride either. Amen? That guitar over there has no pride at all. That guitar has no pride at all. You can ask it. Anyone want to talk to that guitar? That guitar has no pride at all, but it's very valuable to me. I put the value on that guitar. Do you understand? I put the value on that guitar. Nothing to do with the guitar. I made the value. God put the value on you. It's not about you. He valued you. In James chapter 2, I'm going to close with this, I promised. Are you getting anything out of this? Because it's quiet in here. <laughs> Pastor Joe. <laughs> Pastor Joe and I have a little different delivery, um, so, um, but, but it, it, it's a little quiet, so I get nervous. Um, I'm like anyone. I don't like the silence. I like noise. Um, verse 14 of James 2. It says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone, says to, um, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for their body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. Hold on. <laughs> faith without works is dead. Now, here's something I want you to see in these verses. Kind of a, a different twist on this. I want to tell you something right now. You cannot have faith True faith, because that's relationship. You cannot have true faith without works. On the other hand, you definitely can have works without true relationship, without faith. And the reason I know that is because people are going to stand before Jesus. Jesus said this himself on the day of judgment. They're going to say, look at all the great things we did. Don't you remember? And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. 
We never had relationship. Amen? So you can have works without faith. But true faith means what? That you're hearing from God. How many of you know God's not going to tell you, just sit around and do nothing? How many of you know that? (laughs) Now, there are times when God has told me, relax, sit around, do nothing. Okay? But for the most part, because that's a time when I needed healing, I needed restoration, I needed recovery. Amen? How many of you know you shouldn't be doing anything when you're in the funk? Okay? So yeah, God understands that. But for the most part, when you hear the voice of God, he's going to tell you, go. Take that step of faith. Throw that net out. Go catch a fish with money in its mouth. Walk on water. Amen? Amen? That's what true faith is. Faith is hearing. Faith isn't doing. Faith is hearing. And when you hear, you do. It's, it's, it's a subtle, it might sound like semantics to you. You might say, well, I might as well just do it. No, that's not what true walking in faith is. Walking in faith isn't going, you know what, I feel bad for poor people. I'm going to go serve at the soup kitchen. That's not walking in faith. Walking in faith is God told me to go serve at the soup kitchen. Amen? Same same effort, same work, same energy, but a different motivation. Amen? So it's, it's, it's not about the doing, but it's about hearing first and then doing. Let me tell you something. When God tells you to serve at the soup kitchen, Get where you'll be. Amen? But when you do it because you feel bad for poor people, guess what? You'll go, oh, these people don't even appreciate this. I don't know why I do this every week. Right? When you do it in your own ability, you'll find a reason to not do it because it's not that fun. But when you do it by a calling God on your heart, where he draws on you, and you see them through his eyes, watch out. Now you're going to change lives. Amen? Amen. I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes with me, please. You know, some of you might be here today for the first time, or you've been to this church a few times and you're hearing all this stuff and (laughs) it might sound good to you but you're like I I really don't get it I really don't understand it well most of us in this room have made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of their lives and that happens with a simple prayer the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead you will be saved so we want to give you an opportunity today to pray this prayer to make Jesus the Lord of your life to allow him in to allow him authority to allow him to change you from the inside out just like we sang before he's he's calling to relationship he's not calling you to works he's not calling you to be a do-gooder he's calling you to relationship with him he wants to show you his glory 
and he wants to show you the glorious plans he has for you. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer this morning. Everyone's going to join with us. And if you pray it for the first time, I believe that today is going to be the beginning of a spectacular life for you. It's going to come with challenges. It's going to come with, with trials. But it's going to come with victory at the end of every day. And so I want you to pray this prayer with me if you're, if you're, if you're sensing that God is tugging on your heart. Say this. Say, Heavenly Father. I, I want everyone to repeat it. Say, Heavenly Father. I thank you for sending Jesus once and for all to cover me, to renew me, to restore me, to forgive me, to heal me. He brings new life into my life. I believe in my heart that he's your only son. He died on the cross and was raised on the third day. He defeated death, hell, and the grave just for me. I confess him as my Lord, and I am your child, cleansed by his blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.